Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones their hearts and understand that I will love them. I will love them while I still can. Well, hey, everyone. This is Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm thrilled that you could join us today. We're going to have an absolutely amazing show. So thank you uh, once again for joining us. Because we always get new people listening to the show, um, in the beginning, I just kind of give you a brief introduction to what the heck Alzheimer's Speaks is all about. And basically, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. At our core, we believe collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia. And I know we're making a difference thanks to all of you who are our listeners spreading the word and being advocates, sharing and liking and tweeting about us. Um, we um, were recognized by ShareCare and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. So um, to, to all of you, I just feel uh, so grateful uh, that you're part of this battle and joining forces with us. So thank you so much. We know that by having these just casual conversations, we can engage people and teach them these beautiful life lessons that dementia is here to teach us. And, you know, we are really making a shift in the world. I, I see it and I feel it all the time. Um, we are removing the, the stigma and the isolation that just is so wrapped in this disease and, and freezes people. So we're all together helping people learn how to live with this disease, not as it, just how we have for heart disease and cancer and diabetes. So it's, it's pretty exciting um, what's going on in the world. This year we did just launch uh, dementia-friendly businesses and communities, which will really harness um, education and awareness to help improve service delivery in all different types of businesses. And so if you'd like more information on that, please let us know. And then, of course, we do our Dementia Chats webinars on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, which are free. And on those sessions, we actually talk with people who have dementia. And the information that they are giving us is just fabulous. People from families to doctors, support groups, um, people are training staff, listening, and getting a glimpse into what it's really like to have dementia. So by working together, you know, we're able to really give people hope because I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really tired about being driven by fear. And I'm, I'm really excited with this collaboration that is happening all around the world. If you wouldn't mind um, liking us on our Blog Talk Radio page or emailing or Twittering it, and then on Facebook, too, Alzheimer's Speaks has 
several different pages. We'd love you to be friends with us. And again, spread the word. It's an easy way to be an advocate um, is just sharing the information that's available to people. Now, how do you join the conversation? It's really pretty simple here. There's a couple of different ways. If you signed in by Facebook, you can go ahead and utilize the chat box, and I'll be monitoring that throughout the program. You can post a question or a comment, and I try to pull those in. Um, or you can always call in live to the show as well, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And then they'll just ask you to push one to be able to get into my queue. So with no further ado, let's just get cracking on this show today. The first half, we're going to be talking about discovery art and how we can utilize that in order to engage um, people with dementia. And we have uh, some wonderful experts with us on that topic. Uh, the first person I'm going to pull into the show is Sheila Van Houten, and she is a spiritual counselor. She's a doctor of divinity. Um, she is just this amazing woman who I was lucky enough to be introduced uh, to from a a speaking colleague friend of mine. She also is just this extremely talented artist. And um, I've seen some of her artwork um, and been just really blessed to, to get to know Sheila. Sheila discovered that she had a significant um, artistic talent just recently in 2011. She had never had a lesson, yet her art um, uniquely draws these faces and images that just appear in her paintings um, that she never deliberately put in them. Um, she's not not ever known how to draw, and so today her paintings are being utilized in 10 countries and 15 states with patients of all ages and conditions, um, and dementia is one of them. People of all ages uh, just have such great fun discovering things in her paintings, and so it's very... Um, very fun, and we're going to talk um, in more detail about that. So, Sheila, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing very well, Lori. Thank you for having this show and inviting me to be on. Well, I'm just, like I said, I I, I am so thrilled to just know you. Um, and I'm lucky enough, Sheila's right in my hometown here, and so um, I actually not just get to talk to her on phone, but I can I can actually see her in person and be able to see her artwork um, in all of the amazing formats that she's put it in. So let's start out with, um, you know, how does art really impact the life of of um, patients, um, people with any type of illness, and their family? I recently put together a little article that you'll maybe want to put up on your website, I don't know, but... I called it Art, the Mind-Body Connection. And it turns out that there are so many ways that have been actually scientifically proven now that art affects us. And what we've found is that, just to pick out one little area here, and this is true for <clears throat> any patient or any person, there are 10 mind-body experiences 
that the body makes as it looks at art. And those range from relaxed muscles and lowered pain levels to normalized blood pressure, uh, neutralized anxiety, normalized heart rate, feelings of calmness, deepened brain wave states, and uh, lowered body temperature and meditative mental states have been reached. But what we've noticed with the Alzheimer's patients is that they become present and they speak, and uh, I'm going to leave some of that for Dan to talk about too because his mother was at sunrise for many years, and so he had firsthand experience with that. But with patients of all ages, and conditions, we notice that they become very relaxed. My own father, uh, the night before he died, we brought him a set of Matsumoto's ice crystal photos. Some of you might be aware of those uh, beautiful pictures of ice uh, droplets of water that he froze after exposing them to various um, emotional types of experiences. And we noted that my my father looked through each one of those and became very, very calm. And then he fell asleep. And we tiptoed up, my husband and I tiptoed out of the room so as not to wake him. And early the next morning he died. And so I have always believed that those ice crystal cards had a subtle and profound effect on his transition. So that's one example from my own experience. Wow. It, it is, art is so powerful. And um, one of the things when, when I was over at uh, Sheila's house looking at all the different pieces, I mean, I, I just got energized, <laughs> you know, from all these things. It was really exciting just to kind of peek and glance and try to find what do you see you know, in in the picture before you. And it was just absolutely incredible and just so, so much fun, you know, for me as an individual that, um, you know, I can I can see where that would work. And there's there's no wrong answer either because well, it's that's, so... Mm-hmm. That's true. And you can take a painting and turn it in any direction and find all kinds of things that pop out at you. So... Right brain stimulation is one of the major features of this kind of art. Well, and that's so important. I mean, you think about, I think about even just as a kid, and uh, in rare instances when I would allow myself to just be silly and free, just to lay on the grass and look up at the clouds and see what I could see. Exactly. And it kind of brings me back to that joy and calmness and just, you know, lack of control, which is really a gift when you can get there, um, when you don't feel that need to have to be, you know, perfect. And um, it really is quite quite the blessing. Now, I, I should ask you, because I usually ask this uh, of all of our guests, have you personally been touched with anyone in your family or close friends with dementia at all? Or Oh, yes. My mother died of Alzheimer's in uh, uh, 1996, 
And she actually had very early onset of it, we believe now, even though that wasn't a common uh, thing in, you know, nobody knew that there was such a thing as early Alzheimer's back when she was in her 40s. But there is such a thing now, and and we believe that she had it for a long, long time before it actually got to the point where she had to be under care. And so that was a long, difficult process there. Yeah, Very- I know with my mom, too, I you know, she um, definitely had signs, and you can call it whatever you want. She wasn't diagnosed you know, until 10 years later um, with the disease. But as a family, um, she recognized it, and we recognized it for 30 years. And back then there really wasn't much for support at all, um, especially for that that particular group of individuals and families because this isn't a, this isn't a singular person disease. This, this affects families. Um, in huge, huge ways, and it's affecting our society at large as well. Can you um, tell us the story kind of behind your your um, your cards, your art cards that you've developed, and why this particular format um, is is one that you chose? Yes, I'll be happy to. I chose the format of double-sized postcards in... Uh, the ultra-fancy glossy so that the colors would come through really, really well. So these are gorgeous, gorgeous art cards. And I chose them because, first of all, when I realized I could paint, I thought, what am I going to do with all these paintings? I'm really quite a practical person. And then I remembered my dad the night before he died and looking at those cards and I thought, this is it. This is what I need to be doing with my art. And so I have created sets of art cards. And I'm fortunate to have a nonprofit that's actually funded. And it's my mission with that nonprofit to distribute free of charge sets of art cards to groups of people like those at at Sunrise that we'll be speaking about in a minute here and to individuals and uh, my own dentist has one of my paintings on his ceiling over where his patients sit, which I think is fabulous. How would you like to look at something where you can get your mind off what's going on in your mouth well, that's a really good idea. Yes. And it's in clinics and coffee shops. and uh, But the, the art cards themselves, the reason I chose the double size is that the patient can hold them in two hands and really have a look at them. I started out with smaller uh, postcard, you know, regular postcard size. Those are a little too small. So these larger size are perfect, I think, and they just turn out splendidly. Yeah, they are absolutely gorgeous. Can you tell us some stories about the effect of your art on on different people and families? Yes. 
just last week, I was down at HCMC, the Hennepin County Medical Center, and I gave a set of them to uh, the receptionist, and I put them in beautiful foil envelopes. I don't want any plain old anything. You know, it's got to be first class and dazzling for me. But uh, So I gave her a, a bright red foil envelope, and she got so excited at that, and then she opened them up, and she said, oh, am I going crazy? She said, <laughs> she said I see all kinds of things here. What is this? And she just went to the moon with these cards. She is a very right-brained person and was able to instantly see at least four or five images on the first card that she looked at. And I brought enough for the rest of the staff, too, enough sets. And so the whole the whole atmosphere of that clinic shifted as they looked at the cards. And this is what we find to be true with them. I've had clients call me and tell me that in the middle of the night they would wake up, and I'm sure this is nothing new for any of us. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and just for no reason felt like you were having a panic attack? Have you, has that ever happened to you, Lori? Um, I, yeah, when I've had a, a real bad uh, dream or whatever, I, I have woken up scared, yeah. Yeah, and they will grab their packet and just sit down and start looking at them. And the imagery, even if they don't notice anything hidden in there, just the effect of the painting itself has all of those various uh, calming effects that we talked about a little bit earlier. And that was just a smattering. There's a whole list of things. So it's like I just registered a domain today called Instant Tranquility. And I think I'm going to develop an app next on my agenda for people to put on their electronic devices that they can go into and see an instant slideshow. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think it. I think it'll be just wonderful. And so, um, I would say the art instantly uplifts people. Oh, definitely, it's so bright, and so I mean, you almost feel the vibration jumping off the. You know, whatever uh, Sheila has them on on many different platforms, so it's not just canvas. She's done them in ornaments and purses and umbrellas and I mean it's just spectacular because there's no place it can't be and um, but the colors are just uh, unbelievable it's just you know and it's it's abstract art but it's just so beautiful and so vibrant and so it's kind of what's the um, what's the little thing where we used to look for somebody I can't remember who it was Mario was it in the pictures you know but it's not a it's not a particular um you know graphic design in 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 Sheila's artwork it's all abstract but these faces are just phenomenal throughout throughout the artwork and um and the feeling that you get when you look at them i mean i can't, it's it's almost hard to put into words um but i think that there's an emotion attached Every time you find um, this little 
surprise in these paintings. Um, to, anyways, for me personally, it was just a really, it, it was exciting, and it, it just energized me every time I found um, a new little piece or was able to look at something in a in a different light. It was very fun, very fun to do. Yes, and I even discovered famous people who will show up in the paintings. I found Elizabeth Taylor and Willie Nelson <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, a famous musician showed up too. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. But you just look and then you see and then you feel really good about what you discovered. So it's it's. Uh, I like the way you put that, Lori, these little surprises. Yeah, yeah, they're just, they're like little uppers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, don't yeah. have to take a pill, just look at a picture. <laughs> You know, very, very neat. What plans do you have for future distribution of your art? Well, I'm going to uh, continue to do the art card distributions. I'm going to do the app. Uh, that was just a news flash this morning in my head, so I haven't looked into it too much yet. But um, I, I was also intrigued to find out that on Twitter, where I post a painting every day for people to just be delighted with, I was delighted to see that Donald Trump is following me, and I had sent him a one of my art ties, men's ties, because he has a tie line, and oh, it, it's a gorgeous tie, and suggested to him that he have an art tie division of his ties, and that he use my art for it, and that he donate the profits to troops mm -hmm. or I have another nonprofit called troops in transition and um, I haven't heard from him on that idea but the fact that he's following me was kind of intriguing and eventually I would love to see I have pillowcases and blankets I'd love to see patients with pillowcases and blankets oh that would be neat that would be. I mean, it would just be really bright and and colorful yeah. and. And I yeah. do have uh, silk scarves, and like you said, I have everything. If you can think of it, I can have my art on it because I found a company that can do anything. And so the it, it's just limitless what could be done in terms of distribution, and so it's exciting. I I always said. If I had it to do over, I would go into art therapy. And now, 11 years after almost dying of pneumonia, I was in a coma for 13 days, I have had the opportunity to start over in a whole new direction in art therapy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So well, I'm, let's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm very thrilled with the whole thing. Well, good. Well, let's pull in um, some of our other guests uh, that are here to talk about about what what you're doing. And um, the first person I'm going to pull in is Dan Dolliff, and he is a Minnesota businessman, entrepreneur, and philanthropist that brought uh, Sheila's Discovery Art forward into Sunrise Memory Care um, in the Minnetonka um, 
facility uh, where his mother resided. And I would love him to tell us about her response to the paintings and how discovery art is being used today. So, Dan, how are you doing? You online with me? Yes, I am. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Great. Welcome to the show. So you've uh, you've seen this in action and um, actually have helped uh, Sheila bring all of this forward, which I think is so so exciting. So tell us from your perspective what what caught your eye and made you want to get involved. It was actually kind of a coincidental situation. Uh, my mother has for uh, had passed away um, less than a year ago here at uh, Sunrise, and prior to that, she had, you know, significant issues with advanced Alzheimer's. Um, It became apparent that uh, although she loved music and, of course, she loved visitors and was a rather bright and cheery uh, personality, when I spent time there, it became gradually uh, more apparent that my presence didn't always seem to register and after a while, I felt like, well, just being here is important. You know, there's there's a recognition, even if it doesn't seem like there's a lot being processed. And I kind of got okay with that, along uh, with her inability to um, converse, though, she had managed to somehow um, continue to really enjoy music. And this is this is how the coincidence kind of evolved, because I came in here with some cards that Sheila had come up with early in the game, and this is before any real um, nonprofit or network of um, images and products had come along. But I thought this seems to stimulate me in my imagination, and it kind of felt like an adventure just finding stuff in there. And so, what happened is my mom, being the music lover that she was, had. Um, Notoriously been very happy uh, and content watching Lawrence Walk on TV. And they they have a routine where they do certain activities like that that they know uh, residents enjoy. Well, I thought, let's see what happens when I hand her a card. And it wasn't even so much premeditated. It was just like, oh, I think I'll just show her this. And it it happened to be during her favorite Lawrence Welk music program. Well, lo and behold, even though her attention had been riveted to one of her favorite uh, pastimes, she took that card, and before I could, you know, even register exactly what was going on, she was tracing stuff with her uh, index finger. And I thought, that's interesting that pulled her attention right off of one of the things that she loved the most. And the the rest is history, really, because I could tell that it had uh, created some little pocket of joy, I, I like to call it. And it also, in retrospect, felt like, even when I'm not there, that the sense of um, an energetic presence, which could be people, could be the music, um, the artwork, uh, you know, just listening to conversations and the melodies of people's voices, all this stuff kind of trickles through. Um, And you don't always really know how it's being processed, but obviously these people do respond. And I think that's where, you know, gradually the list probably has grown a bit with um, feedback of things that seem to be happening. And Sheila had described some of the, you know, 
uh, more physiological effects that are really, you know, great for um, people to bring them, you know, kind of out a little bit. And sometimes uh, they'll talk, uh, I think, here in a few moments about the actual groups that have uh, started to take place here at, um, you know, kind of roundtable discussions about the uh, art with the residents. And that that is just really fascinating to me. And I, so coincidentally, you know, it, it, it just sort of evolved. And I was very, very pleased to say that, you know, my mom happened to be kind of, uh, you know, I guess a jumping off point. Yeah, and well, what a what a blessing that that you decided to to try them out um, and the impact that they have. I know when I I do different things with my mom um, in the nursing home, it it's almost contagious when you find something that engages. They all want to be part of it, and so you just start sharing it, and it just it, the whole energy in the room just changes. And I know the energy within myself. Um, you know, just changes too. I mean, it just it just clicks, and um, I, I think time. I think you're right about about the contagiousness. I think that's a perfect word, and it is a two way street. When you can bring something like that out, you know, the dynamics um, help everybody, including the facilitators of the group. Um, it was just a really uh, happy, joyful uh, experience for me to see her engage with uh, something, you know, that could have some, uh, even if it's just some impact at the moment, it's still that little pocket of joy that, you know, is probably going to stay in their memory. Who knows? But um, just these little pockets of joy, it could be a group, could just be sitting down with somebody. Uh, I love, I think, the idea of something that is actually on the bed as far as a pillowcase or whatever with Sheila's artwork would just be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Well, and even just walking into a room with a bedspread that's not just, you know, most of them are a standard color or they're more dull. These would just pop. I mean, because the colors are just incredible. I mean, they just kick it up a notch. Um, and it's not so bland and boring, and and especially as we age too, the the colors are in such nice contrast. Where a lot of times in in many um, communities and just in our own everyday lives, we forget that um, as we age, we can't see colors as distinctively. And so when we're using the pastels, one color blurs into another. And people can't differentiate it, and so it would be a it would be a fun piece um, with that. The I guess the only thing that I could think of would be um, possibly people with depth perception issues, but that usually would be a a bigger pattern change where it would run into more of a problem with that. But yeah, it would definitely be interesting to to look at. Um, well, I have to thank you so much for. Um, you know, bringing these in and um, and sharing these with Sunrise. I'd like to pull in a couple others from Sunrise and um, see what they have to say as well about these cards. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at this time, Dan? Not really. I'm just uh, very pleased, and you're you're very very welcome. Um, Sunrise has uh, certainly you know, offered some added benefit to the residences and uh, to the greater community. I think um, the one part that got missed so far is 
the artwork has also been incorporated into the Minneapolis Library situation. So that uh, is just one more piece of wow. uh, getting getting the color, as you say, the, vi- the the happy vibrational stuff. It's kind of a flavor enhancer, really. Imagine that just on a wall in a library, much less the cards themselves wow. being made available that way. Oh, very neat. Sheila, anything that you want to add to Dan's comments? Well, that was just a nice surprise, Dan. I didn't know that. Thank you. That's uh, I'll put, add that to the list of uh, distribution points that we have covered so far. Uh, I think, sure. I think that pretty well covers it for me. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and pull in Emily next. Thank you so much, Dan, for, for taking the time with us today. Um, You're welcome. Emily. Emily uh, Figaro is a licensed acupuncturist, uh, herbalist, and um, massage therapist in the state of Minnesota. And um, she has been studying to specialize in sports acupuncture. And she's also been working to incorporate her trained skills to promote movement, connection, and aromatherapy at Sunrise Senior Living in Minnetonka in Minnesota for the past seven years. So um, it, she has been an enrichment, a life enrichment manager, uh, manager I can't talk, since uh, the conception of the program in 2009. And she really continues to focus on bringing stimulation and engagement to Alzheimer's and dementia residents on a daily basis. So I want to welcome Emily to the show. How are you doing today, Emily? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for having me and be a well, part of Wonderful energy. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know it's a lot of a lot of time to uh, to ask, but I think it's so important to share the knowledge of what is working, you know, for people out there. So, can you tell us, you know, what your thoughts are with this, uh, you know, with this engagement art and um, and how you see it working? Well, to me, I I have hands-on experience and seeing what momentarily joy it has brought to the residents in Sunrise. Um, with me and my colleague, Jody, who you will um, hear pretty soon, and I will leave some of the stories uh, for her to share because these are experiences that I witnessed and she has experienced it. And one of the things that I've noticed right away, even with Mary Dolov, um, Dan's mom, is that the energy that it brings out at the moment of seeing what I saw was that it was enlightenment. It was a spark in the eyes. When you see someone's eyes, you can see the spirit of their their soul, so they say. And so what I saw that she picked up, she even reached out in one of the sessions, um, the art, and, and there was energy flowing there. And as you know that... Um, I study energy in many different fashions, and so to be able to experience this energy here at Sunrise and in, in the, the population that we work with, and to it brings a joy to my heart to see that that energy can be sparked and that there is still a, a wonderful person there, and that, that art brought out many, many, many experiences, positive and negative, um, when we bring them into a group. So you, you know, when Dan brought this to us, it, it worked so well with 
Mary that we decided, you know, and actually it was Jody and Dan and we all got together and said, wow, if it happens with one resident, let's happen. Let's see what happens. And also Sheila, because she wanted to know the feedback. So we wanted to bring together a community of our residents, and we did it once a week. And once a week, we had always been enlightened and what kind of energy it produced into their soul, into their moment. And and even though it's moments, it was enough for me because that's the life that Alzheimer's is all about. It's a moment of just that moment of joy, that moment of energy traveling into their body. And and so I get excited because I'm all about energy, and I know Sheila is all about the spirits and energy flow. And and so every time we did it, it was an amazing experience to experience and and to be able to do that is is unbelievable. Um, my desire in this whole process is to continue seeing and giving Alzheimer's patients the opportunity to feel feeling and enjoy their that moment. Mhm. Well, I think it's it's interesting too because, you know, you can't um you can't see the joy if you're not looking for it. Um a lot of times. And so it when you talk about this shift in energy, I mean, it's it's almost electric. I think when certain things hit um that can jolt us to actually see what's been in front of us all along but we never noticed. And I think these cards can really be a catalyst um, to jolt people because you will see the whole atmosphere change, um, not just within that person, but it, it it's electrified because we're all so interconnected. And once exactly. you start paying attention to it, it just expands so easily. And it's fun. You know, it's not like work. I mean, it's exciting and you want to be part of it and... Um, it just changes the whole interaction. I think um, that would be that would be my read on it, anyways. But um, very, very now, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to um, say one thing too, because you mentioned that has it. Um, do I have you know family members that has this? My mom just recently got diagnosed, and um, Sheila gave me this uh, a set to bring to her. My mom is not, she's a very colorful person herself. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you open a closet, if you open a closet, you see nothing but colors of clothes. And, um, and, and to this day at 86, she dresses and puts red lipstick on and does her nails and everything. And she's in the beginning stages. And so I brought these cards to her and instantly she just like gravitated towards those bright colors. Uh, I I try I try to pro and 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 try to see if she saw anything, and that took time. She kept looking at it, and she put it down. She'll pick it up, but the thing that got to me is that she really really enjoyed it. Put a smile in her face, and again, these little bit of energy is what is most important. That they're not going to have. You know, or they're not having them at the moment, you know, and if you can bring out an Alzheimer's patient, dementia, um, an enlightenment of joy, um, 
that's that's the gift. That's a huge gift. And, you know, capturing those moments and bringing them out and then being able to capture those, um, especially for family members, can just change, you know, the whole process of this disease and how they feel about it or, you know, do they want to go visit. Um, it, It allows them to see that connections are happening maybe on a different level than what they once were. Um, but it makes I think it makes it more comfortable for family and friends, which sometimes struggle thinking, um, especially if someone progresses in the disease, what's the point, you know? Um, and when they can see those moments of joy, and I don't know if you guys um, are able to capture pictures or video of that. Um, I know I do yes. that with my, with my own mom. Um, but I would love to see more communities share those moments of joy. And I know that there's all the HIPAA rec- regulations that complicate that, but I really think people need to see more of the joy um, because all that's talked about is the disconnect. And um, and I think that's one of the you know biggest stigmas that we have to overcome with this disease. And so if we can you know show more physically um to people so that they can actually see these moments of joy that would be that would be awesome to be able to do well Jody and I had an opportunity and I'll let Jody talk about these things cuz there's so much uh, information but and she's really good at bringing it out but we just did a conference uh, with some videos and it's extremely effective when you see a picture of their interactions with the art Mm-hmm. And it's it's extremely uh, touching, um, positive or negative energy because we've experienced both. There are people that get negative energy, and at the same time, it just turns it around. And I personally don't disagree that negative energy is a bad thing. Any energy at this stage would be a good thing in my eyes. And mm-hmm. so we we encourage the energy flow. And so. Um, we just finished a conference called the Minnesota Aging Services, and um, and it was a, a an exciting uh, presentation of what the art does and how it's bringing out um, conversation in the group um, with each other. It's like an awakening almost. And uh-huh. so, um, there's wonderful stories that uh, I don't, I don't want to say much on it because I I feel that Jody has beautiful stories to share in reference to that. Okay. Well, why don't I go ahead and um, introduce, well, before I introduce Jody, I'm just going to ask, um, Sheila, if you had anything else that you wanted to, to add to Emily's comments? Well, I thank you, Emily. I wondered how your mother had reacted to that, and that just, it just makes my heart sing. That's just beautiful. Thank you. And um, yeah. I'm just pleased with everyone and how all of this whole project is going. It's just miraculous to me. Okay, great. Well, let me go ahead and um, and pull Jody in. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Emily. Really appreciate it very much. So Jody Nip um, is a study in nursing, and she's been working with residents uh, with Alzheimer's and dementia at Sunrise Living in Minnetonka since 2007. Um, specifically as a life enrichment manager since 2010, uh, where her team um, 
does supportive work, and um, they introduce new programs emphasizing art exploration, involvement in the memory care community, and she continues to make improvements in understanding um, the socialization needs of the person with Alzheimer's um, and or dementia. So welcome to the show, Jody. Um, how are you doing today? Let's see. For whatever reason, you're not. The mic is not turning on you, so it might just take us a second here. Every now and then we have a glitch. Okay, it's working now. Okay, you should be live <laughs> now, Jody. <laughs> um, thank you very much, and I just want to um, say that I think your goal of motivating people not by fear, but but encouraging people to be pursuing comfort is such a beautiful mission. I really thank you for for driving that forward. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's I think it's critical. I, I you know I I think fear has always been used to get people to pull out their pocketbooks, but I would much rather have them pull out their pocketbooks for hope. Um, yes, I think it's just a, a much more positive mode, and it allows people to become more creative and open to a lot of the opportunities that you know are wrapped in something that might not appear to be too positive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I say on this show all the time for me. You know, my mom's journey with memory loss of 30 years has truly been a gift to me, it's, and it's given me an opportunity to do something different, to make change, to improve things. And and anytime I have an obstacle in my life, you know, I I always, I mean, I used to kind of go down the rabbit hole, and now I ask, what's the lesson? You know, what do I need <laughs> to learn? How how can we make things better? And having that attitude of hope and that there can be change. Um, just allows one to do so much more and to um and to engage in a whole different level than than what and, I used to. Mm-hmm. And I really think that Sheila's art, um, it really it really is very hopeful because one of my favorite things about it is it plays on the strengths that an Alzheimer's patient retains. You know, um, the color, all the texture and the movement, and just that it is so failure-free and that you can start, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the engagement and the energy, but I wanted to touch a little bit about um, how using the art can really help with expression and bonding is, is the two things that I've really noticed a lot. And, um, Lori, you mentioned that, you know, kind of you said interconnected and that feeling that everybody's interconnected. And when we first got the art and we started doing these these group things, um and we started really, you know, developing how we're going to facilitate this and what techniques and how we're going to get the conversation and, and help them engage. And um, before long, it was really just it became such a tool of expression. Um, they were they would find these little pieces in the art and connect it back to their life. And and it was things that reminding them and reminding everybody all the things that make them special, the things that are talents that are important to them, those things would bubble up to the surface in the conversation. And then um, also the bonding. Um, when they connect with the art on a personal level, they see something and they connect it back to their life. And then, you know, through a few questions, we realize that half the people in the group can relate to that. And there is such a feeling of bonding. And I think um, with so many of the residents, um, you know, I think Alzheimer's can be kind of lonely feeling. I think you lose some idea of who who you are and, and all these things are important to you. But to feel connected to the other people and um, be able to express who you are and 
what things remind you of and, and just what you see in a painting can build to be so much more. So it's it's so hopeful, so beautiful. Thankful for Sheila every day. That's how I feel. Yeah, I I didn't realize the impact of of art until um Oh, gosh, my mom had moved into the nursing home, and that was not the plan. She was always going to live with us. And one day I went in to the nursing home, and in a horseshoe, the residents were sitting around um, the activities coordinator, life enrichment, whatever you want to call them. And um, the person was holding up just this gorgeous picture of flowers. I think it was like in an Oprah magazine. And it was just brilliant colors like, like Sheila's paintings are. And I remember just the shock within myself as a daughter stepping back and watching the interaction because everybody could comment and contribute. And I think that's one of the biggest things that um, can happen with people uh, with dementia is that they can lose their purpose, they can lose their connectedness. So um, in this group, everyone is connected and they were just feeding off one another, and I remember sitting back going, oh, my gosh. You know, I was kind of upset because I wanted my mom to live with me, um, not in a nursing home, and, you know, I'm the daughter, and I could do it better. And I remember in that moment going, I couldn't give her that. No matter how hard I try, I could not create that that peer group, that community that they had developed that was, like, so cool, and I didn't even realize that had been missing in my mom's life until that moment. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just adding on what you're saying, too, at Sunrise, um, I think the development of the life enrichment manager role, which is, you know, um, we have activities, and, and we have, you know, a certain set of the activities coordinators, and they do all these fun things, and um, truly wonderful. But then the life enrichment is unique to the memory care. You know, we're able to um, work one-on-one with someone or get a small group together and and find people who have the similar interests, bring them together to do the things that they love. So we can really facilitate bonding, not just on a big scale, but more on a small, more intimate, relevant scale. And so that's that's been something that um, working at Sunrise, you know, especially Sunrise in Metonka, really opened my eyes to see that, um, the more you can add and, and the different ways you can approach them. And at, like I said, doing the um, life enrichment, I use the art, we do the group things once a week, you know, big group. But frequently, you know, if somebody is, you know, like we had a resident who just moved in and was feeling very isolated and very not very trusting of others, and I wanted to help kind of bond that bridge of that you're safe here and, and, and we, we want to kind of get that environment feel. And the art was, was one of the most helpful tools, you know. Um, got her with a little group and, and, and got her answering some questions and sharing some things. And then pretty soon we're all saying, oh, yes, and all bonding together on what she saw in the painting. And, you know, it's it's a very, it's a powerful tool, you know. And it's, I think it's, when we went to the conference, I think the most exciting thing was we're sharing with these other professionals in Minnesota the luck that we're having with this art. And we, you know, we had the contact information of Sheila and we brought our cards and we handed them out and then everybody took them home, you know, <laughs> which was, it was good. So people are getting a chance to see the art and, and hopefully it's just on its way of spreading, you know, spreading. And because it is, it's so, Sheila makes it so simple. The art is mm-hmm. so intriguing and um, it's, you know, if you, if you are lucky to work in, in a facility where, um, you know, 
uh, they support you and they're giving you these these tools and these people and it's it can really be positive. Very very neat. Have you gotten any particular responses from family at all? Um, yes, uh, we have different family members who might be around when we're doing the art, or I've done one-on-one art with a few people, and then um, their family members have come, and they're always the first thing they say is, "Oh, that art is so beautiful," and you know, we, you know I say I kind of explain a little bit about how we're lucky to have a little connection through Dan and Sheila and get this art, and um, but mostly I think the people are intrigued by the the expression, what comes out of the, their family member when they're looking at the art. You know, what what is their family member seeing and what memories is this triggering? And um, I think that that, for a lot of family members, is something that really goes to the heart. When you see your family member engaging in something and, um, you know, be, being creative and having fun and, and then especially if they can, like sometimes people link back to where they grew up or something, a trip that they took or something that they see in the art. It's like bringing them back there. And I think mm-hmm. when they see their family member remembering something, it's, it seems to be a really touching experience. Wow. Can I ask, you know, how often do you do you do these exercises? Um... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, we do. We have um, every Tuesday afternoon, we have a weekly art critique with a group. And then um, just depending on the individual, then I'll do one-on-one art critiques. You know, maybe maybe just once a week, maybe, you know, six or seven, just kind of depending on... Sometimes I use them as a tool of expression. If someone is kind of, especially I've been dealing with a few people who have been extremely anxious. And so I just started, I sit with them and I talk with them for a minute. And then when I find the right break in the conversation, I can and say, hey, I don't know if I showed you this, but we've got some beautiful art. And we kind of look at the art. And then I notice that people say, well, I, you know, I say, what do you see when you look at the art? And a woman says, well, um, I see a person, but they, they're really scared. You know, and I can kind of see the connection of what they're describing in the art helps me understand a little bit how they might be feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's been, just the past couple of weeks, been doing a little bit of that and one-on-one, and it's been it's been powerful. Well, and I love that you call it art critiques. You know, it's, um, <laughs> I just think that that's fantastic, you know, what because it is. What's your opinion? What do you see? Um, you know, it's not, it, it's not a... It's not bingo, you know. Um, right, they're asking right. for their valued opinion, and that's that's pretty pretty cool, pretty cool to do. Um, uh, what else is? I wanted to ask you something else. Um, with with families, have they asked to be able to utilize the cards? You know, when they do their own visits and all, is that something that that Sunrise um, is open to sharing with families to be able to help them on one on one visits at all? Hmm. You know, um, I, I haven't had any personal experience with that yet, but um, that is certainly something, when you say that, it kind of sparks something within me I'd love to try, because I know what you mean. Sometimes you see a family member, um, you know, visiting with their mom, and it's so different than how it used to be, and and. Mm-hmm you know, they don't quite know how to connect in a way where it, they're not going to end up asking a question that the mother doesn't know how to answer. Or, you know, it can sometimes a, the interaction can be awkward when it's when it's new and, um, you know, the abilities and the person is changing. So um, that is something that you, you have opened my eyes to right now, Lori, and I thank you for that. I'd like to try. 
Yeah, I think it would be it would be really interesting to see how it goes. What I found, you know, myself as a daughter and when I, other family members would come in, um, I was always really close with my mom, so I never really had a problem connecting with her. I mean, that was just her and I, our, our thing. But other family members really struggled. And so um, I, I took a, a learning lesson from her one time when she had what we call spa day at the VOA. She was at the Volunteers of America. And she was just so excited about, you know, they did her hair and her nails and all these little different things. And it's kind of a funny story. I won't get into all of it. But what I took away from that was that we can all create that joyful moment. We don't have to have a a spa day. You know, for me, I have typically a bottle of lotion in my purse so I can massage my mom's hands and arms or whatever and just sit and Mm -hmm. talk to her and rub lotion in. My daughter now goes most of the time with fingernail polish. And so it gives us something to do while we're interacting, and I'm just thinking those cards could be another layer to help families realize that there is a connection. But sometimes Mm -hmm. we feel like we have to be busy because we don't Mm -hmm. know even what we're looking for. So, So, yeah, I would... I would love to be able to hear um, hear your uh, thoughts if you do test that out. I'm going to go ahead and, and pull Sheila back in and see if she has any other comments that she'd like to add. Sheila? Yes, uh, Jody, I just want mm-hmm. to thank you uh, and Emily, too. I, I'm so pleased that my art has gotten into precisely the right hands. You <laughs> are wonderful. So up the great work. Well, thank you for your beautiful creations. Welcome. There's well, more. I have some new ones, so. Oh, cool. Well, it's, uh, it, it's very exciting, and I appreciate all of your time um, together here. Jody, can you um, give us maybe contact information if people are interested in getting a hold of, of you at Sunrise uh, to learn more about how you're incorporating these cards, if they'd like to talk with you, you or Emily directly? Is there a contact information you're comfortable giving, or would you prefer that they go through me and I pass it on? No, certainly. Um, that, <clears throat> it would be fine with me if they contacted. They could call Sunrise in Minnetonka. Um, the number is 952-474-9155. Um, they, yep, feel free with to speak with Emily or I, even our Executive Director Young. She's very knowledgeable about all this. And then um, I don't mind offering. I have a just a personal email. It's just jodynipe at gmail.com. So okay. any information I can share, I'd be pleased. And also, um, if anybody... We have, you know, when we did the presentation at the Aging Well Conference, we have um, a PowerPoint slideshow and some little videos. So if anybody would be interested in, in viewing that, um, certainly call us on us know. I'm sure we could share something with you. Okay. And, Jody, can you, your last name is K-N-E-I-P, correct? Yep, yep. And okay. then it's Jody with an I-E at the end. I-E, okay. And can you give us that phone number one more time, please? Sure. It's 952 952- Four seven four nine one five five, and that's size of Minnetonka. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And and then Sheila, would you like to uh, give us give our audience uh, contact information on how you would like them to to reach out to you? Oh, certainly. 
I have a great website you can have a lot of fun on, and it's um, discoveryart.info, I-N-F as in Frank, O. And my phone number is 612-866-1269. And I'd love it if you'd want to follow me on Twitter. I post a painting there every day for everyone's delight. And that my Twitter name is at newlight777. So that's N as in Nicholas, E-W-L-I-G-H-T, 777. Thank you, Lori. Well, wonderful. I uh, I really appreciate everybody's time. I, this hour just blew by. And so I need to pull in our, our next guest. But again, I want to to thank... Um, I thank all of you so much. Sheila Van Houten, Dan Dallas, Emily Figaro, and Jody Knight. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. It truly was a pleasure to to have you on the show. And I look forward to hearing more from you. And I, I'm going to put out there in the old world of energy that Donald Trump gets a hold of, of Sheila and <laughs> uh, gets that tie line going there and... <laughs> And maybe maybe some of your your uh, artwork in his hotels. How cool would that be? You oh, know? hey, I could go for that. That would be great. Yep, yep. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you again. You guys all have just a, a fantastic day, okay? Thank you, too, Lori. You're doing a wonderful service. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and introduce our next guest here. Um, and who I'm just thrilled to have. These two are... Um, just wonderful, wonderful advocates for dementia. Uh, Steve Ponis and Dina Donson are both living with dementia. And they have joined me on Dementia Chats, which is a webinar series that we provide um, twice a month on the second and the fourth Tuesday of the month. And their insights have just been absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to introduce Steve first. Um, Steve was diagnosed with uh, early onset Alzheimer's disease about 18 months ago, and he has become an advocate for those who can't speak about the disease. He just feels that it's really time to bring awareness to everyone of what this disease is really like Um, and to help uh, caregivers and those that, um, that are on this journey with them live a better life. Uh, Steve, it's just a great, great pleasure to have you on the show. He was actually on the show, oh gosh, I think it was about a year ago, and we just had a marvelous response um, to your insights. So welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing very, very well today. Thank you very much, Lori. Well, thanks again for taking uh, time out of your day. I'm going to go ahead and ins- uh, introduce Dina, and then what I'm going to do is we'll just ping-pong questions back and forth between the two of you, kind of like we do on Dementia Chat. So uh, Dina was diagnosed with Lewy body um, with probable Alzheimer's at the age of 47, about a year and a half ago, and Dina is working hard to decrease the stigma attached to dementia. Um, she is just an amazing individual, getting stronger with her purpose as she helps so many others deal with this disease and put things in a different light. Um, So, Dina, welcome today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Lori. 
Well, I just I'm like I said, I'm thrilled to death to have both of you with us today. I'm going to ask you what, uh, um, and I'll throw this first to Steve. What are your thoughts? Were you able to catch the the first half of the show on what they were saying about art? Um, I caught bits and pieces of it. I've kind of been it's kind of been chaotic for me this morning, but um, I, I love the, what they're doing and and what it does, and it's it's great to have something that when you have these emotions and you can do the artwork and you can draw the emotions out of the patient, that's a phenomenal thing. And um, we've talked about this briefly before, Lori. It's something that I need to get into, and I'm I'm looking into it, and uh, I think it's going to be wonderful, but I love what they're doing. Great. How about you, Dina? Were you able to um, hear that conversation at all? I caught the tail end. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm in the Pacific time zone, so I've I kind of been dragging my feet this morning a little bit. So, oh goodness! <laughs> but no. I did catch the end, and I the, what I did catch I thought was um, extremely important for patients, and you know, hopefully more um, people are doing that. Yeah, I think it. I think it's good for those diagnosed as well as those caring for them. I, I really think it's a, it's a collaborative piece um, that everybody can engage with and, and get involved with. So um, it's it's a it's that segment of the show you might want to go back and, and listen to um, over time there. Well, I want to start out with talking about. Um, I, I have to give a, a plug for our dementia chats there. And I'm just going to ask Steve first, um, why do you think it's important that we're doing these webinar platforms? Well, it's, there's such an awful stigma in regards to, to dementia. And our last webinar, we talked about the loneliness and, um, and uh, abandonment feelings and so on. And it's just it's great to be able to get out there and throw the raw truth of the emotions as a patient so the caregivers hear it and they can help their loved ones along, but also we can break the stigma so that people understand that I have the disease, but I am not the disease. And you provide such an awesome platform for us to get out there and say, hey, people, this is what we're going through but this is who we are, and I have not found a better platform and a better person with a better heart to be able to do that for us and with us. Oh, thank you. How about you, Dina? Anything you want to add to why you feel the Dementia Chats platform is important? Yes. Um, I feel I, I do agree with Steve, but one thing that is really important to me is it seems like you know people are fairly familiar with um dementia in the elderly people but they're they're not half as knowledgeable or even even aware that it, it you know it's as time goes on hits younger and younger people they're beginning diagnosed and so that is really important for me because to to end this you know to make people aware that this disease does hit the younger, you know, people, and 
that that is really critical for me that aspect and and also the stigma that goes along with it yeah and i think unlike the radio show with uh dementia chats it's a webinar platform so you're seeing how young you guys are and so do you guys mind sharing your your current age dina i don't mind at all um i'm 49 at the moment <laughs> Um, I was 47 when I was officially diagnosed and, and suffered quite a bit um, before prior. So I've struggled with it for quite a while, but I am 49 currently. Okay. And, Steve, how about you? How old are you right now? I'm a wonderful 50 years old. 50 years old. So, yeah, you're you're not the normal um, vision that people have of this disease of being 75, 85, you know, 90 years old. Um you're you're moving and shaking. You guys both have young kids. Um and that's a whole different aspect in terms of you know how this is affecting your life. Um and that of your family. So, I think what we'll do is we'll dive into um the story of you know what signs you saw. Um that led you to get diagnosed. So, Steve, can you share with us um, initially what types of things were happening in your life that you thought something's not right here? Well, it, it's 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 kind of a mixed bag, and it's 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 hard to explain. But I was having memory issues, but we weren't really sure if it was medication related because I was having side effects to um, an antidepressant I was on. So I went in and had blood tests and a, a CT and everything you do to make sure that the medicine isn't causing certain things. And when I had my CT, we went in and sat down with a neurologist and had a long talk with him. Um, I had been working retail, and I couldn't remember where any of the product was on shelves, and it was rather alarming. And I left retail and got into my comfort zone working in a hospital because that's what I grew up, that's what I went to school for and that's what I did for the longest amount of time. And I fell into a nice rhythm with everything and I was having little quirky things happen and it wasn't that big of a deal. But after being there a couple of years, I started getting written up for not um, charging people for the tests I was doing, for um, not downloading um the tests into the computer so the doctors could read the tests and it got to a point where it was got to be pretty bad and I I was really really struggling and um, that's when everything kind of really hit rock bottom for me there mm-hmm. how about how about you Dina were you working at the time no no I was um, staying home with my younger son um and but there was there was just a lot of little things that just you know were alarming to me but um like i was going to i my son's birthday was coming up and i went and ordered a cake for him and i told the woman what to write on the cake and i i got his age wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. and you and I mean that's just a little thing, but it it was huge to me because I mean that's you know as a mother to forget your child's age, <laughs> I never did that before, and and I was just 
I kind of would have these periods where I would just kind of be in a a fog that you, I could always tell when they started and and it was just my mind just wasn't the same, you know, it would go into this just fog mode and it would last for different amounts of time and it was very alarming for me, but I, I really didn't even tell anyone for a long time, just dealt with it. And then um, I was at a, a, I kept kind of mentioning this to my cardiologist that just completely blew me off, said, you know, just really did nothing until, you know, finally telling him a fourth or fifth time, this is really a problem. Um, He referred me to the neurologist and and that kind of went from there. Okay. And, and Dina, what was your experience when you finally did get diagnosed? Um, Were you... Relieved, upset, or it was uh, many feelings. At, at first, it was relief. The initial feeling was relief that you know this, because everyone just kind of tried to dismiss it as stuff that just was I knew wasn't accurate. And so there was that initial relief that you know yes I could say I have this, but then very shortly after that. there was just a pure panic that set in because of the word, dementia. I mean, that is a a very scary word for people. And so there was a lot of panic right off the bat after that (laughs) first um, relief. And then there's just a lot of emotion, you know. After that, there's shock, you know, that, that this was happening and then sorrow and and you know it you know what I was going to what I knew I was going to lose prior you know before I was ready to you know watching my sons you know go through the motions of growing up you know in the later stages there's just a lot of that sure how about you Steve um how did you how did you find out uh how did you take the take the news when you actually went in and got diagnosed well, the, the hardest part for me, Lori, is um, I found out, not from my neurologist, but um, I was going through the process with my neurologist, and I had a filed for family medical leave because I knew there was trouble and I wanted to make sure everything was lined up. So if I was going to lose my job, I'd at least have something to fall back on. And I got a phone call at 8.30 in the morning on a Thursday, and the health nurse for the hospital called me and says, you need to come in, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, fine, I'll come in at, you know, 1.30, I start my shift at 2. She says, no, I need you to come in this morning. And okay, and I went in and sat down in her office, and she says, I've got this document you need to sign. Um, There's no pleasant way to tell you this, but you've become a liability to the hospital, and you can no longer work for us. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And she handed me the paperwork for my family medical leave and the very first statement up there that the doctor wrote is Steve Ponis has dementia. And right then and there in that office, my whole world crashed because I lost my job, I lost my identity, I lost everything that I was. And she did it the best way she could. I I wish my wife would have been there because it would have helped me deal with it. But they told me, you need to clean out your locker and you need to go. 
Well, I walked out of there, grabbed my cell phone, called my neurologist's office, and said, I need to see Dr. Um, so-and-so immediately, not not tomorrow, I mean today. And Wendy and I went in, and yes, that's what he told me it was. And so it was, it was just, and every emotion, the way I look at it is I went through a major life crisis change, and I went through every grieving emotion that you go through and then you pick yourself back up and then you start walking again. You know what amazes me with that story, Steve, is that we think the medical field gets this and they don't. And for you to be told through HR versus your doctor was really inappropriate um, in terms of how that was handled, in my in my opinion. Um, well, they and thought then, I already knew. They well, already thought they I did. knew. And, you know, throwing mild cognitive impairment out there, yeah, that, you know, and that's what my neurologist had said, mild cognitive impairment. So you think, okay, fine, you know, where is this going to go? But, boom, the word dementia, just, oh, my Lord. Yep, a total different impact. The other thing is I think, uh, you know, businesses have to be, uh, have to look at how are they going to handle these situations because they are going to come up. And is it appropriate to just tell you by yourself. I mean, because stress can add so much to this disease in terms of confusion and any of us losing a job. I mean, that's going to chook, I mean, right through the roof. Um, it's going to throw us for a loop, but then you add dementia into it. And I just think of the, the safety issues of even driving home and um, what could happen in throwing someone in over a load like that. I, I think companies have to understand the impact of their decisions. And I know it's out of their comfort zone to call a spouse in to have a conversation like that, but these are different times needing different methods in terms yep. of, of you know, distribution of, of how people are notified. And, you know, I mean, if you would have gotten into an accident on the way home, you know, what... You know, would they have been liable? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think companies have to start looking at things from a very different angle in terms of how they communicate and realizing the emotional impact um, this diagnosis has on people and and their families as well is very, very, very critical. Um, Steve, can I ask, you know, how how did your kids handle the news and did you tell them right away well we my my daughter um lives uh 20 minutes from me and we informed her right away my son's in college and we tried to hide it from him because he's going to an art school and it's it's very demanding in school and we wanted to kind of let him continue on with what he was doing and my my daughter handled it well. My mother, my daughter became my mother hen. Um, it was it was phenomenal the way she just flocked to me and just put her wing over me and said, "Dad, I'm going to take care of you." And mm-hmm. it got to the point where it got to be a little much, and I had to kind of say, "Okay, Katrina, you can kind of back off a little bit. I'm okay." But it was just wonderful. But my son called. He had had an accident, and he called me because I've always been the go-to guy, and I had a meltdown. And I didn't respond, so he hung up and he called mom, told her, and then 
we ended up having to tell him that way, and that was a hard way for him to find out. And he was quite devastated, and he was a little angry because we hid it from him. But, you know, we had the way what's best. Well, we learned, but now they're they're doing great with it. They're they're encouraging me. You know, they're walking this walk with me 100%. Oh, that's nice. How about, Dana, how about for you with your kids? And if you can share how old they were when you told them? Um. My older son, um, he he was living current uh, at the time in a different state, and so um, my husband um, did tell him pretty immediately over the phone, you know, of the diagnosis and what was going on. But my younger son, he was 13 at the time, and of course living here at home, and He's he's kind of he's a very shy kid and um he just he's got some learning disabilities and so I've always been kind of I he and I have been very close and I I couldn't bring myself to tell him. I just when I was first diagnosed I was going through all the emotions and I just kind of held off. You know, I just kept telling everyone I I'm just not ready. And um, I, you know, I one another reason why I kind of was not ready to tell him because as a child I was kind of I ended, as a child I ended up taking care of my mother who ended up dying at a very young age. So I've been in this put in this kind of unique situation where as a kid I was kind of with my mother who who was had a disease and died. So now I'm the mother with the disease, and so I have a very, um, I have a lot of empathy for my son, you know, and what he's feeling. And so it's just kind of a mixed bag, and so I kind of held off, and people had to really push. I couldn't tell him. My husband had to end up telling him. It was just too hard for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's interesting. Um and it's it's got to be tough. I mean, you know, you're trying to you want to protect your kids, that you want to be honest with them, and you know, like Steve you had said, you know, we we thought it was best, and then all of a sudden, poof, it comes out, and then they're mad. And um, there is, you know, there is no handbook that guides you through um, how to introduce this to family and friends. I get people all the time emailing me saying, when should we tell our family? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's to me. You know, I'm so glad that they're reaching out, but it saddens me that people don't feel like they can just share this with their own family. And um, I'm talking not just their kids, but their parents, their brothers right. and sisters, their aunts and uncles. Um, it's very scary because what happens if they walk away from me, I know, is a is a big issue that people worry about because of these stigmas are horrendous with this disease and people don't think that people walk away but they do oh and they do it in numbers <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know we had that conversation just on the last dementia chats and you know one person posed the question i think to you guys of well are are people walking away or are you walking away and, you know, every person I've I've ever talked to with dementia says, you know, I'm not walking away. I might be responding differently than what I did, but I want those relationships. 
You know, I'm not the one choosing not to engage. I might not know how all the time to do that, and that's where I need, you know, the help and the support, you know, of my of my friends and families. And it's it's difficult, um, even as a, a care caregiver or a care partner. Um, you know, we lose um, friends and family as well through yes. this. I mean, this is something that goes hand in hand together. It's it's almost similar to a divorce in some ways, where. Yeah. You don't know where your friends and family are going to lie when you make that decision to get divorced. And you hear people who are divorced say that all the time. It's just like, well, I don't see them anymore. You know, they're they see him, or you know, they put right. in that side. Um, and you wouldn't think that would happen, but it does. Um, and I think it does because there is such a lack of education. Um, and there's such a fear that people don't know what to do, and so sometimes it's easier just to walk away. Would you agree with that, Steve? I agree with that. The one thing that I wanted to say, because um, I wrote that question down and I've been contemplating it since we've had that chat, and I, the one thing I wanted to say is we as patients, we think self-preservation, and I've had friends even recently that are no longer friends because the they just they don't help me. They're not they're they're a hindrance to me. They the um they're not a positive influence. So you, you make the decision to um to protect yourself and it's not that you dislike that person or you know, there's any angst there, it's just You've got to do what's right for you, and that's one thing that I didn't get to say on the dementia chats because, you know, it, this is a this is a evolving process with us because we are um, declining as as the as the progression of the disease, and we've got to put our first best foot for best foot forward, and when we do that, sometimes we have to kind of leave things behind because it's just not helping us to cope and to, to manage and to grow to the person that we're, we're growing to be. That's a good point. Um, I think that self-preservation piece is so important because you you can't stand the turmoil because it, it does affect and it can disintegrate um, not only your thought process, but I think um, just the whole self-confidence and um, what am I doing? And it just—it's like everything gets thrown in a blender and put on high speed. And um, uh, for some, I think this sense of, you know, miscommunication or loneliness or abandonment—I mean, it's—it's it's just devastating. And people have to understand that they can't—they can't handle this drama. You know, it, nope. it just—it's—it's it's just horrible um, to watch. And see people go through this. So sometimes, um, you know, I'll see a person with dementia say, you know, i got to draw a line in the sand and I just can't go there anymore because it's affecting not only my my mental health but my physical health in terms of, you know, my life. And it's jumbled up enough. I don't need more turmoil. And so people have to really understand how emotions and drama, I think, can affect somebody with dementia 
um, and they'll sit and try to argue and rationalize, and it's like that approach isn't going to, it's just not going to work um, in no. most, most cases. Um, Dina, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I just look at it as just it's in one simple word, it's toxic to us. <laughs> that's you a know. good way to put it. That's a That's yeah. a very good way to put it. And so I think um, care partners have to really be aware of, you know, how, not only how are they talking, but what are their nonverbals? Because you guys are yeah. picking up on all of that stuff. Um, that's one of the things that I love, even with the dementia chats, you know, like the radio, we can only talk one at a time. But um, when I talk with you guys uh, afterwards, I'm going to say, oh, I saw that in their facial expression, you know. Right. I picked up on this. And and they you know they're interpreting um, things very very well and I think even with my mom in her end stages is still taking stuff in she might not be able to um, you know state that the way that she used to or communicate it but we're always our bodies are always taking this stuff in and so we have to be much more conscious of what are we giving out. And very, very true. <laughs> and I think as a society, you know, it's time to say, do you really need the drama in your life? I mean, yeah. we are so driven by drama and fear. I mean, I don't, I don't get the newspaper anymore. I rarely watch the news because it's, you know, it's just negative drama. And I, and it's not that I want to be ignorant in terms of what the world you know, what's going on in the world, but it's like I just can't keep going down the rabbit hole on this stuff. You know, we can make positive changes, um, but we have to be in a positive frame of mind, I think, to do that. Very very (laughs) Very well said. So um, in terms of doing, you know, the dementia chats, you guys are very involved with uh, you know, on social media um, with memory people, and um, you've done some things with us on on Facebook with uh, dementia chats as well, um, and I'm sure many other groups. Um, you know, you're just very, very connected. How have how have these communities empowered you as an individual, or maybe I'm making an assumption that they have. So, Steve, I'm going to let you go first in terms of these different social media communities, do you feel that they have helped empower you? I have to say yes, 100%. I, um, I, I, I joined Memory People early on when there was maybe 80, 90 members. Now we're up to almost 3,000 members. And as we grew and sharing there, the the feedback on what I was saying just empowered me to say, hey, I'm doing something good here. And that's what got me to get um, uh, early onset Alzheimer's support group in my area started, which is going to kick off March 15th here in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Oh, good Um, for you. Took me a year to get that going, but, you know, you just just push and push and push. And um, I've, um, when, when, when you, I'm sorry, my brain just kind of froze there for a second. You're fine. When you, when you step up and post, whether it's on Memory People or on the Alzheimer's Connect site or 
a couple other the sites that I'm a member of, and and people say, hey, that helped me with my mom, or that helped me understand my dad, or that helped me with my dad. It's always empowering, and we do the dementia chats and the feedback that we get. It's 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 a win-win. Um, I, I've learned that. Um, not every site is compatible for every person and not everybody's going to get something out. But what I've learned, and this is, this, and I, I've, I've mentioned this on Memory People, and when someone posts a post on there and you get a thread on there, you look at that post and you look at that thread, and I have to take out from that thread and that post what is good for me. And if there's nothing there, I leave that post alone. And that's what everybody has to do when they're on these Internet sites is they've got to look at it. Is there any value in it for me? If there's not, leave it alone. If there is, then take out what it is. Let them know that it helped. And and that's what you've got to do because it, it does no good to go back and forth as to what's right and what's wrong. It's just you've got to take what's worth it for you and, and move on. And that's what I've learned to do, and it's just helped me so much. That's very good advice um, because I think everybody thinks every group is going to meet everybody's needs, and it's not. You know, it's no different than anything else in the rest of our lives. And as we progress, you know, as a person, um, you know, different different uh, activities or groups or people, uh, like everything else, they're gonna they're gonna ebb and flow in our life. But the key yep. is to keep with whoever you're in line with, you know, who makes you feel good, um, who makes you feel calm, um, who can you laugh with, um, who can you, you know, who, you know, who do you feel you can be a confidant um, to and with. Those are, those are the critical, critical pieces that, that I see. And, you know, the, not to, not to judge, because everybody needs different things, and and I think no matter what comes out of somebody's mouth, somebody somewhere needed to hear it, um, and maybe it's just the person who said it. <laughs> no, um, maybe it's just as simple as that. Um, but it is. It's okay to change things up and do what is best for you if you're a person with dementia or if you're a care partner. You know, we should all be looking at our lives like that instead of trying to please everybody, um, which I think sometimes can be a really big mistake um, that can happen. Uh, you know, we're we're so into trying to make everyone else feel comfortable, we forgot we forget about making ourselves comfortable, and uh, yep. and that's very very critical. How about you, Ferdina? How have the social media sites? Um, have, have you felt a sense of empowerment for yourself there? Or? Yes, yes, I have. Um, initially, when I, you know, went on them, it was more of a, a acknowledgement that I wasn't alone, and that really helped. <laughs> and and I got more from that. But as time has gone on, I've you know ventured out a little bit more, and and it and it feels good to to vocalize to others and and you know help in any little information that I put that I might be going through and if if it helps somebody else to read and to know that well yes this person I'm caring for or the person actually is going through the same thing 
it it's just a very it feels good to be able to it is a win-win because you know I'm getting something from it and every now and then something I put out there somebody says wow that's you know I'm relating to that yeah so I re- I remember one specific um well, kind of uh, conversation that we had on dementia people that I found was so interesting and it was we were talking about do you still sleep you know with your spouse anymore and because of this disease and you know everyone pretty much said well no we sleep in different rooms and this is why and blah 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 and the community all tapped in and you could just I mean I just my whole body just felt this relief of oh, we're not alone right this is, this is what everyone this is this is our new normal and it was just such a a neat thing to be able to share even something so intimate um, that people don't discuss to just feel that sense of community and feel that isolation peel away going, you know, my life is really different. And um, and all of a sudden you find this community going, no, not really. <laughs> You're doing the same stuff we're doing. So welcome to the group, you know, what whatever it happens to be. But I, I remember that being just a really significant um, discussion in the group mm-hmm. and all the people chiming in. And it was just almost like a rush of energy. Even though we're doing this online, um, I could still feel the energy of the group just and the sense of relief. And you, you brought that to people and you put it in perspective and um and I, and I just I can't thank you guys for for all of the honest conversations that you're willing to have and and what you're teaching us all in terms of how to better care uh for someone with dementia and better understand it and you know we get a lot of people too on those chats that have dementia you are helping their voice raise to get a little bit stronger and maybe someday they'll be you know, on the radio show or on Dementia Chats or um, utilizing different platforms, too, because you're showing that it's a safe environment and that it's a need. I mean, it's a huge, your voices are just a huge, huge need um, for the public to hear with that. Um, Dina, you know, you've got Louie Body. Can you explain to the audience, um, kind of in your own words, you know, what what it's like to live with Louie Body Dementia? Yeah, um, it poses a few, I think, a few different things than what is normal with Alzheimer's. Um, One key difference is that it really attacks, and I never can say this word right, the anatomic, the the system that regulates like your your blood pressure, your temperature, you know, Mm -hmm. the core things like that in your body. That's a it it has the capability of of in the characteristic of it messing with that my blood pressure is bounces all over the place at times um and it it's very problematic <laughs> in that aspect um my temperature seems to fluctuate at any given time and that is very uncomfortable um there was i i'm not sure if this the the balance problem is a, how much of a characteristic it is in alzheimers but 
I in the very beginning I would I fell quite a few times. I fell literally upstairs, <laughs> up the stairs, not down. Um, there was just my there was no rhyme or reason to, you know, when I would fall, and that is another characteristic of Louis bodies that I think is a little different. So there's just you know a lot of that issue. Um, hallucinations are another. Um, key thing with Louie body and I I really haven't had that um yet. Mm-hmm. So but that is another characteristic of Louie body that is is problematic for people can be. Yeah, we hear we hear a lot about uh the hallucinations and the just the just deadly uh, horrific nightmares um that people have. Um, yes, that feel that they're real. Um, to the point of of acting out to protect themselves in their sleep and, um, you know, being afraid they're going to harm their loved one mm-hmm. is really pretty pretty common um, with that disease. And uh, the Lewy Body Association uh, does, a, you know, they've got a lot of great resource information, and they're also on Facebook, too, um, you know, if, if someone is dealing with that in particular. Um yeah. Now, as far as driving, I'm just going to ask you um, each if you still drive. Steve, are, are you driving? Yeah, I'm still driving. I um, I do local trips, Walmart, grocery store, uh, my daughter's house, um, back and forth to the VA facility because it's real close. But I've, I've limited my driving to places that I only know where I, I am. Um, I won't drive in downtown Charlotte, and I won't go to any parts of towns where I've never been before, it's just, it's it's, it's too much. Um, but the short little jaunts, they're, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Have you have you been tested at all or the doctor? Cause, uh, and this is something that people don't realize either, that um, a lot of times people just think, oh, someone with dementia, you know, can't drive or shouldn't be driving. Well, but. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, that goes back to my story. But anyway, um no, my neurologist, I see him every four four months, and um, we talk about driving every time I sit down with him and uh, with the testing, the mini testing that he does and everything, and uh, he still feels that I'm confident enough that I can continue to drive where I'm driving. But when it becomes a, a, a more of a problem, I think my wife and my daughter will probably speak up long before the neurologist does. Mhm. I I know for my mom, she um she just stopped herself. Um it, it she just got scared. She knew that she was getting disoriented. Um and she didn't tell us that right away. She just kind of pulled back and we didn't really know why and then later on she just said, I you know, I it was just too confusing. And so mm-hmm. she just she just stopped herself. How about you, Dina? Do you still drive? Yes, I do. Um but um, I too meet with my neurologist about every four months too, and I I have voluntarily stopped driving at night. Mm-hmm. I I will not drive at night, and I don't just like Steve said. I don't. I will not drive where I'm not comfortable. I I've really kind of for for a long time really have only driven to where I feel comfortable. 
I think it's just been, you know, instinctively I've chosen to do that. And and I know that I think, you know, the time is probably coming soon where I'm probably not going to win. And I will voluntarily. I monitor that pretty well within myself. Mm-hmm. And I I know it's the time is coming soon where I will just say I'm not going to drive anymore. Yeah, and that's a that can be a big struggle for people in terms of giving up that independence. And um, you know I I've thought about it for myself. You know if if that happened to me, how would I react? Because right now, I mean, I don't like giving the keys to get my oil changed. <laughs> not have that access. And so, um, you know, how will I be, you know, just turning turning them over? But I, you know, I'd like to think that I will want others' safety um, ahead of mine. And, and, and hopefully I will have, um, you know, support in place where, you know, I won't be, you know, in shutdown mode in my house and not be able to do anything. Um, well, because I... I'm a very social person and so that would be that would be difficult but I know that as the disease changes, you know, so do a lot of other things. Right. And and I will say that it's pretty I feel that that cuz I'm I'm kind of like you. I it's going to be detrimental to me to <laughs> to give it up to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to it, but I don't want to put you know Anyone, including myself, my family, any, any, anybody out there in danger, and mm-hmm. so that will trump my <laughs> me. But but it it will be difficult. I will not lie. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Yeah, Steve, have you given it much thought in terms uh, of? It's, it's way in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I don't know if it's a guy thing or not, but. When I think about it, it, it hurts, and I don't, I don't go there yet. I don't want to feel that hurt. I don't want to feel, I don't want to let go yet. So I kind of keep it in the back of my mind. And when my wife and my daughter bring it up, we discuss it very calmly. And when the neurologist brings it up, but it's, I, I'm not ready to give it up yet. But I know there will be a time when I'm going to have to say, "Hey, Wendy, here's the keys. I can't do this." Mm-hmm. Now, I know some families are actually kind of signing contracts where they have this conversation um, because some people are worried that they're um, that they're not going to remember that they said, okay, when this happens, it's time to take my keys away. And so they've either um, written it out, and, and even a lot of them are doing it on video, and they're almost talking to themselves, you know, saying, okay, now I agreed. When this occurred, it was okay for my family or my doctor to pull my keys. And, you know, this was a deep conversation that we had, um, and safety comes first. And so it's being able to kind of mirror mirror back to yourself um, and reassure that it is the best decision at the time. And, you know, and I don't know how, how well that is working for people. I've I've heard of people doing it, but I, I don't know of anyone who's at the point where they've watched the, their own video, you know, where it's actually come to be. And I don't know if that would give you any more peace when the time came. Is that something that you think might be helpful at all, Steve? Or 
Well, that's something that my daughter brought up a month ago, and that's something that we have discussed and we're going to do, but we're waiting um, tentatively till spring break for my son to be home so we can kind of make it a family thing. And I'm going to, this is it. This is what, what I see in the future, and when I start getting disoriented, we're going to definitely do, like you said, um, I mentioned doing the the written part of it, and then you had mentioned the video, and I mentioned that to my wife, and my wife says, yeah, we need to do the video. And we are going to be doing that within the next three to four months and mm-hmm. get that out there, and it's going to be done, and that's going to be one less step that we have to worry about because I am um, – it's not that I like to argue, but it's like my wife has said, there, there there's been moments where she said, well, Steve, you said this, and right away I got the anger snap fingers, the anger's there, but yet, you know, after discussing it with her for a while, it's like, oh, I probably did say that. So we've got to get this done so there's no repercussions on them when they say, Dad, you said this, and they can show me the video, and then all the weight is off their shoulders, it's all back on me, and that's how it needs to be. Yeah. It might even be interesting, and, uh, you know, if anyone is doing this to even put it on YouTube to share. This is, you know, this is a concern that, you know, I have and my family has and I want to help them um, with this decision. We're not sure how this is going to pan out, but this is something we're doing. Um, I mean, it would be a very intimate conversation, but it might be kind of interesting to help others give it some thought in terms of, and even just going public. Um, with it in terms of these are issues that we we need to address. You know, others are are talking about you know when would it be time uh, where I uh, you know I might have to move out of the house. You know, what what are those lines as a family? Um, and they're having those discussions as well. And those are those are deep deep discussions. I mean, those are not easy things to tackle by by any stretch of the of the imagination that's for sure but it would be kind of interesting um if anyone was ever um brave enough to share something like that to maybe help others through that process um with that Adina any thoughts on that um it would be a good idea, you know, if if I think I'm going to be willingly giving it up before I that's going to probably be an, a necessity. Mhm. Just because I I know that my general practitioner um the doctor has mentioned, you know, just I just I don't know for liability or whatever, she's mentioned me um very soon doing the I I think that there's a specialized test for people with this mm-hmm. I, I I think and she's mentioned you know probably having me do that and and I just because I don't do well with tests that'll probably be the time where I just say okay you know um because I would even normally I don't handle the driving tests well I get nervous and boy with this I would probably just be a bit I wouldn't do well mm-hmm. and so I'll, that'll be to the other point I know that's coming, and so and it, you know it's probably time wise good. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, instinctively I know the time is coming, and I really have slowly just limited my driving 
you know, very much. Probably trying to get me used to the <laughs> what I know is coming. But it 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 is a really it's it's a struggle because you know yes this this you know I was diagnosed about a year and a half ago or so, but it it stops it changes everything in a heartbeat. You know, one day we were, you know, a fairly younger family, you know, with all these plans for the future and what we were going to do when the kids moved out. In in an instant, it all changed. You know, now we're looking into, you know, me not driving, how are we going to get around? And it's just, it changes everything. Yep. Yeah, I, I can't even begin to imagine um how how things have just i mean it's like flipping a pancake <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah it is. yeah and it really it, it's a hard pill to swallow and and that's what's kind of hard for me is that it was hard for me but having to look around at my family and and you know the people that care about me you know it, it how this all affects them you know so it's it's it affects everyone around you, including yourself. Yep, yeah, definitely. Um, Steve, anything else that you want to add there? No, just just to touch back what what she had touched earlier on um, the age and how young we are. And I mean, there are people that are in their early forties now that are being diagnosed, and it, it's it's such a crucial life change for us at our age that, you know, when you're in your 70s and 60s and 70s and retired and this, that, and the next thing, you know, there's not a whole lot that's going to be affected. But, And I'm, I'm not saying that. I don't mean that in a negative way or any disrespect towards anybody that that's age, that is that age. But we've got, I mean, my kids are in college and my daughter's 25, but she's got a, a, a child in high school I know others that I know of that have kids in high school. I even got a young lady that I know that has a uh, a child that's in um, seventh or eighth grade, and it's just the whole dynamic of your life changes for everybody. And it's I just I just want to make sure that people understand that hey, you know, it's not just the changes that we've got to go through that we're dealing with, but the kids, oh my lord, I feel for them and I pray for them because of the changes that they're going. Mom can't do this and dad can't do that. It's it's just so critical that we get news out there what's happening to in this world. Mhm. And 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 another thing that I think is important which is not for this show, but that is why I'm I really want to get involved is there are no there's such limited and at least in my area, no resources available for people this age. There's just nothing. Yeah, it and is so it's that's, very sad. Yeah, and so that's that's one thing that I really want to try to, you know, the need for the resources for the younger, you know, people that are touched by this. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I can't believe our hour is just about up. Is there any last uh, tip you want to give people, Steve? Um, I just 
this one that keeps running through my mind is that um, dementia, um, as a patient, we battle our demons and everything, but there is no plan book, there is no guidebook, there is nothing out there. Each individual that suffers from dementia is unique and individual, and what works for me may not work for your spouse or your loved one, and it's just you've got to have an open mind when you're dealing with the disease just because there's just no playbook, and I just want to get that out there. Great. Thank you. How about you, Dina? Anything that you'd like to like to share, a last tip or words of advice or comfort? or? Well, that was a very good one, Steve. <laughs> very good. Um, just, you know, that people take the time to, you know, if you see anyone struggle that, you know, don't have a negative reaction. Just maybe try to to take a moment and think, you know, well, maybe they not have it, you know, to, to treat them with respect. Because I know that that, that I've encountered that, and that's one thing that I think is important. If you, anyone out there that sees somebody struggling, maybe just ask if they need a little help or, you know, instead of having a negative reaction, have a positive reaction to them. Yep. Well, that's, those are, are great words of advice. I, I can't thank you guys enough for all you're doing to help shift our dementia care culture. And I just I feel so honored to be working with you on the Dementia Chats webinars. And, again, those are on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. And all of those are recorded, so you can always go back and find those as well. And you can either go to Dementia Chats on Facebook or you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com um, and you can go to become dementia friendly and scroll down and all of the all of the episodes are are listed there. Our next um, episode will be March 12th then, and Harry Urban will be one of our featured speakers at that time. Um, coming up on the show will be on the 5th of March. I can't believe March is here already. Spring, holy cow! Um, Sandy Helperin will be with us, and he is uh, another person living with the disease, and he is on the advisory council for the National Alzheimer's Association. So that will be a really interesting um, conversation on March 5th. On the 12th, I'm going to have Dr. Richard Isaacson, and he's going to be talking about nutrition and medical foods. There's some kind of amazing things going on. Um, that a lot of us are not aware of. And then on the 26th, I'll be having Gary Glazner with Art and Poetry. And on the 29th, we'll be, um, I'll have George um, from uh, Us Against Alzheimer's, which will just be a wonderful, wonderful conversation. So we've got lots of lots of fun things coming up um, on the show. In the meantime, if you are looking for an association, please uh, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. There you can find any of the associations around the world. Plus, they have all kinds of information on statistics, the world report that is out, um, and so forth. You'll find it an amazing amazing show, uh, an amazing website with tons of resources there. In the meantime, go ahead and um, use my mantra that helps me get through every day. And that is, it's about progress, not perfection. 
thanks again for spending your day with us. And um, if you would like to share this show, like it, tweet it, um, email it, um, anything you can do to help raise awareness of what we're doing, we would greatly appreciate it. Have a blessed day. Bye now. Bye. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.